You won't believe what Belle Delphine just said, and we need to talk about it because it's a growing problem. Donnie is taking swings at Ronnie. We're breaking down the State of the Union so you don't actually have to watch it. We've got all of that and more on today's brand new Philip DeFranco show, so buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. Starting with the fact that apparently I'm in trouble because of the situation with Belle Delphine right now. As you may or may not have seen, uh, I made the genius decision this morning to live stream a podcast, and there's a clip from it that's now gone viral. And before I explain and, and kind of talk through how I would do things different now that I, you know, I've heard from more people, let's just watch a clip together so you don't hear about it secondhand or paraphrased. This has got to be something that you no, but what I'm, no, what Phil, I'm saying. I only recently yeah. switched. Now I stab homeless people. What? I, I didn't do that, by the way. I didn't do it on um, on purpose to gain uh, a controversy on purpose. I just like it's something that I like. Now, the first thing I need to explain is uh, I lied to you. <laughs> There wasn't a real clip. That wasn't a real interaction, or at least half of it didn't happen, right? Bell's not out here stabbing homeless people, at least not to my knowledge. There was no viral clip that resulted in scandal and controversy and backlash. And rather, we just created that clip because it's kind of a, a jokey, nonsensical example of the, the very true, scary scenarios that we're going to see moving forward. What you just watched was a mixture of fake and real, where it took part of a Belle Delphine interview I did like two years ago. And I mixed that with an AI audio clone of Belle Delphine that I was able to whip up in 12 seconds by just using two minutes of source material. And while initially we are seeing other examples of this popping up in general kind of more meme jokey in your face examples my fellow americans capitalism is exploitation i mean it And while this is how we're initially seeing this start, this, this is going to be a very real problem. Like when it's not your full-time job, it's already hard to understand what's real or not on the internet, which is why many people are already concerned and we're already seeing headlines like uh, people using AI to make celebrities' voices say horrible, racist, or violent things. Or for example, there was a recent Motherboard article pointing to what 4chan users were doing and finding things like people manipulating Emma Watson's voice to read a passage from Mein Kampf and honestly, that's one of the milder things they found. You know, the AI firm that was used here, you know, they quickly noted the misuse of their program, saying they plan on exploring more safeguards to make sure it doesn't happen again. But if it's not done through them, it's going to happen through someone else. I don't know how you safeguard this. And if I was even able to trick like just a small percentage of people with that, that clip that we crudely put together this morning, what happens when it gets better and better? Because understand this technology is the worst it will ever be, right? It is only getting better and better by the day. So something to keep in mind, if you ever get angry at me, because the thing that you got angry about, I probably didn't say. <laughs> But there is a genuine reason to be concerned here. I wanted to raise it to you, and now I want to pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? Are you concerned or no? You think it's overblown? Any and all thoughts, I'd love to hear. And then, Donald, I wish or well Trump is digging up Ron DeSantis' past and smearing it all over his face. And by his past, I mean a short stint that he did teaching history and coaching sports at a boarding school in Georgia 20 years ago, where, according to a recent New York Times report, students remember him as smug and superior, but also as the cool guy in a job, with one black student claiming that he was mean and hostile toward her because of her race and that he defended the South while teaching the Civil War, which he apparently did so much that students made a satirical video impersonating him saying the Civil War was not about slavery, it was about two competing economic systems. Also in another incident, Ron allegedly challenged a student to guzzle as much milk as he could, which he then did, throwing up as dozens of others watched. But none of that was what Trump latched onto. Instead, he focused on Ron's notorious mingling with minors. With Donald grabbing by the pussy Trump, resharing a picture on Truth Social of 23-year-old Ron smiling between three female students, one of whom holds what looks to be a beer bottle. With several students also reportedly recalling him often attending high 
high school parties where drinking was involved. And one former student saying, as an 18-year-old, I remember thinking, what are you doing here, dude? Another student saying they once saw a memo on Ron's desk reminding him that fraternizing with students, even recent graduates, is inappropriate. And so along with the photo, Trump added sarcastically, that's not Ron, is it? He would never do such a thing. By seeming to endorse accusations by some on the right that Ron's some sort of groomer. Which, you know, obviously should be looked into, but also, <laughs> considering the source of Trump here, it's, it's, it's rich. The guy was buddy-buddy with Jeffrey Epstein. He wished Ghislaine Maxwell well. He's been accused of sexual misconduct by at least 26 different women. But also, that's not where Diddlin Donald stopped. He launched a whole volley of attacks on Ron. Posting a screenshot of the headline, DeSantis says he's glad violent Trump protesters are being arrested. Also slamming Ron for voting against a plan to build the border wall when he was a state Congress member in 2018. And as far as why is he lashing out at Ron DeSantis, I mean, I think it's because he's really the only true competitor for Donald Trump going into 2024, and that's if he runs. Because remember, 2023 just started. We don't even get the primaries till next year. And if anything, DeSantis has gone out of his way to not comment on running or not. But if anything, it feels like we're just getting a small taste of what the shitstorm's gonna look like, because I mean, if it's this early and he's already throwing out these groomer allegations, Jesus Christ, shit is gonna get wild and ugly. And then 15 million people are essentially living under the shadow of a ticking time bomb. And that clock is speeding up thanks to climate change. Whereas the earth warms, more and more of the world's glaciers are melting and the leftover water often pools into huge glacial lakes. And so then all it takes is a small breach in the natural dam around the lake and all the rocks and debris carried out by the gushing water widens the hole more and more until it becomes an inland tsunami, drowning any communities and infrastructure unlucky enough to sit in its path and in many instances kill thousands of people. And then once the disaster's over, there still may be danger because ice dams can close back up or lakes can refill, setting up another future explosion. And these glacial lake outburst floods, they're hard to predict and when they happen, they come suddenly and without warning, which makes them scary enough, but in recent decades, they've become more and more common at the same time that population growth has put more people at their mercy. Whereas since 1990, the number, area, and volume of glacial lakes have all increased by around 50%. And if the same glacial lake that killed just over a thousand people in Peru in 1942 happened today, it could affect more than 100,000 people living downstream. And all these factors led to a study published in the journal Nature yesterday finding that 15 million people are at risk of glacial lake outbursts globally, with more than half of them being in just four countries, China, India, Pakistan, and Peru, with the most dangerous area surrounding the Himalayas. Though also, researchers warn not enough attention is being paid to the second most dangerous region, the Andes, where very notably the number of lakes has shot up 93% over the past two decades. By comparison, North America and Europe are far more insulated from the threat, both because of their wealth and their geography, with only 393 deaths in the European Alps being directly linked to lake outbursts over the last 1,000 years. But fortunately, people can take protective measures, such as partially draining the lakes and reinforcing natural dams. But that requires governments to pay attention. It's a lot of work to do. It's a lot of money to be spent. And for some, there's not gonna be a lot of time to do either. And then it's the beginning of the year and I've got a great hookup for you. You know, with basketball, hockey, and concerts all in full swing, there's always an event for everyone and you're not gonna wanna miss out. And even nicer, how about getting $20 off by using my code Phil for tickets for any of these events? All made possible by the fantastic sponsor of today's show, SeatGeek. With over 28 million downloads, SeatGeek is the number one rated ticketing app. And with Taylor Swift, SZA, and Ed Sheeran on tour right now, you need SeatGeek. Y'all understand, they're not just a sponsor, they're what I use. Whether I wanna go to something big like the Super Bowl, or if I wanna go to a comedy show for a little impromptu date night, a concert, a musical, some other sports. Whenever I want something, I automatically go to the SeatGeek app, especially because SeatGeek wants to make sure that you're getting a good deal. So when you're on the app, look for the green dots. Green means good deal, red means bad. And every ticket is backed by their buyer guarantee. And SeatGeek is the only site that lets you return your tickets ahead of the event with swaps. It's $20 off your first purchase with promo code Phil. So make sure you click that link in the description to download the app. And then you really need to talk about the state of the union, key moments, takeaways, and even like some big things going into last night. It was Biden's first state of the union before the newly divided Congress. It was also largely expected to be the soft launch of his 2024 presidential campaign, which notably comes as his approval rating has remained quite low, hanging around just 42%. But here's the thing, that only kind of scratches the surface
surface of Biden's problem, with a recent poll finding that only 22% of Americans want Biden to run again. And arguably more important, an Associated Press poll on Monday found that 62% of Democratic voters want someone else. And that was also echoed in a second poll from the Washington Post and ABC finding 58% of Democrats wanted someone else. And if he does run again, he is asking for voters to trust that he will run the country until he's 86 years old. And that becomes an even bigger target as Republicans have repeatedly seized on his past flubs and stumbles to argue that he's unfit for office. But as far as the details of what Biden outlined in a speech, we're not going to go into all the details. It's pretty much exactly what you'd expect from a second-year president now facing a divided Congress, touting his administration's biggest accomplishments over the last bit with a big focus on modest but steady economic gains and recoveries to key sectors, emphasizing economic initiatives like the Inflation Reduction Act and the historic infrastructure bill and taking a jab at Republicans who didn't back the bipartisan bill to rebuild roads and bridges, with that notably including House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. I want to thank my Republican friends who voted for the law and my Republican friends who voted against it as well. But I'm still, I, I still get asked to fund the projects in those districts as well, but don't worry. Why are we still here just to suffer? I promised I'd be a president for all Americans. We'll fund these projects. And I'll see you at the groundbreaking. Biden also took credit for a range of social policies like lowering prescription drug prices, lowering costs for childcare and housing and investing in climate programs. But he also made it clear that there's still a long way to go, calling on Republicans in their new House majority to work with them to finish the job, which he really hit on over and over, reportedly saying it 12 different times during the speech. And in that vein, we saw Biden presenting an agenda that was very toned down from the ambitious progressive plans he had outlined before a Democratic-controlled Congress. Where he didn't push for a whole lot of new policies, and when he did, they were very middle of the road, things like ending junk fees and travel, entertainment, and credit cards. Though he also reiterated calls for a number of initiatives that have been non-starters for Republicans, things like codifying abortion rights, the assault weapons ban, imposing new taxes on billionaires, stuff like that. But for the most part, the president largely focused on a push for bipartisanship, saying to Republicans that if they could work together in the last Congress, they could do it again. And with that, pitching a unity agenda full of issues that he believes could get GOP backing. Things like support for veterans fighting the opioid epidemic and increasing access to mental health benefits. But uh, unity and bipartisanship are easy to talk about, uh, way harder to actually accomplished right, because I, I can't think of another time in modern American history where we have been this divided. And that was very much on display last night. Right, some of the biggest and most talked about moments came from the pretty wild and unusual heckling from some far-right Republican members, with Hill describing it as some of the rowdiest pushback from an opposing party in recent memory. And the thing is, it's not just a standout because it happened. Right, we already know that politics is unceremonious these days. But rather, it really just highlights that they're ignoring the demands from their own leaders, with McCarthy specifically telling reporters that Republicans would act in line with the Congressional Code of Ethics and that they wouldn't play childish games, with it also being reported that he even explicitly warned his party to behave because there was going to be hot mics and cameras everywhere. And with this, one of the most notable moments came when Biden talked about Republicans' refusal to raise the debt ceiling and accusing them of holding the economy hostage until Democrats agreed to their demands. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. You know, it means if, if Congress doesn't keep the programs the way they are, they go away. Other Republicans say, I'm not saying it's a majority of you. I don't even think it's even a significant. But it's being proposed by individuals. I'm not politely not naming them, but it's being proposed by some of you. So, folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now, right? They're not to be spoken. All right. We got unanimity.
And the key thing with this moment is like, not only did most experts say, wow, this actually made Biden look very strong. It's been widely described as Biden intentionally baiting Republicans, not only because of that final moment that it created, but also because televised reactions like that of Mike Lee and people sharing that and going like, hey, we're all Mike Lee right now. Right? He's seemingly confused. What's Biden talking about? It allowed for the other shoe to later drop and last because we saw a number of viral posts being created where people were saying, okay, you see Mike Lee seemingly confused, not knowing what Biden's talking about with them wanting to, to strip away Medicare, followed by a clip of Mike Lee explaining what he wanted to strip away. It will be my objective to phase out Social Security, nice. to pull it up by the roots and get rid of it. Here, here. Medicare and Medicaid are of the same sort and need to be pulled. Though also, to be fair, it has only been a couple of Republicans floating this idea. It has been largely rejected, including by McCarthy himself, who said that's off the table. Though remember, he does have a very slim majority, so uh, the, the tail gets to wag the dog there a lot. But also, that wasn't the only moment where Republicans acted out. We all saw this happen when Biden was talking about the opioid epidemic. Fentanyl is killing more than 70,000 Americans a year. Big you got it. And there was also jeering and mocking laughter at various points in the night. In fact, you could even see McCarthy at times shushing members multiple times. Though again, to be fair, we did see Biden repeatedly jabbing at Republicans on a number of issues, condemning them for not backing certain proposals, criticizing GOP policies, calling out efforts to ban abortion and repeal the Inflation Reduction Act, and with those firmly saying he'll veto those attempts. But also there were some solid moments of unity. Like when Biden talked about the need for police reform, speaking specifically about Tyree Nichols, whose parents were in attendance, with the president garnering bipartisan applause at one point during those remarks. He also got standing applause from Republicans when he slammed Putin's war with Ukraine, as well as when he talked about building more semiconductor production in America. So on the note of foreign policy, something that you saw a number of analysts talking about is that despite the fact that Russia and China are obviously huge issue areas for Biden and major parts of his job, he spent very little time talking about them. Right, devoting only small portions of his speech to talk about the war with Russia, ongoing standoffs with China, making vague references to the balloon, but not mentioning it by name. And then, of course, wrapping up by talking about democracy versus autocracy. But if you didn't watch the whole thing, which is part of the reason why I think a number of you were watching me, and if you feel inclined to, uh, I'll link to it down below. Well, throw that sucker on double speed and get through it. <laughs> but that's up to you. The, the whole point of this show is to try to save you time. And that's where today's show ends. Thank you as always for watching another one of my daily dives into the news. My name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.